Hear now the word of God. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's once again pray. Thank you for your inspired word that is contained in the Bible. Make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And let us know the way in which we may walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The other day, Lindsay and I were speaking about enriched rice. Have you even noticed that um, on, on your pantry? The, the word enriched? We were talking about that. And this is what we found. <clears throat> enriched rice is white rice that in the, uh, the, that in the assembling process loses much of its nutritional value such as certain vitamins and proteins. Enrichment is the adding of those vitamins and proteins back to the rice. So when you buy enriched white rice, it contains all the nutrients that it had lost in the assembling process. That got me thinking. In some ways, you and I are like this enriched rice. Whenever we were born, we were born in sin. And that is not the way you were meant to be. That is like the loss of nutritional value in the assembling process. However, when God saved you, you were enriched by and in Christ. You gained those vitamins and proteins or rather uh, back or rather you were, were enriched with grace in all speech, and in all knowledge. And Christ sustains you by, by which you had formerly lost. That is what this text speaks about. That if you are a believer, you have been enriched by God in Jesus Christ. I would propose that is the doctrine of the text. That if you are a believer, you have been enriched by God in Jesus Christ. How many of you think about that or have thought about that? That if you are a member of the church by faith, that you have been enriched by Christ so that you lack no spiritual gift. What a thought. That you have been enriched by God through Jesus Christ. 
In the exposition, I would separate this text in four divisions, with your, starting with your enrichment. You have been enriched first as a member of God's church. Secondly, you have been enriched by God's grace through Jesus Christ. Third, you have been enriched in all speech and in all knowledge. And finally, you have been enriched with perseverance. Let us begin with the first. You have been enriched as a member of the church. This is an exposition for the church. The text says that this second person plural pronoun, you, and, and Paul speaks about that in the entire, about that in the entire verses, verses four through nine. What does this mean? It is designed to speak to the whole church of Christ in Corinth. This is an exposition for the church of which verse 2 speaks, to the church of God, which is in Corinth. That means in every way, y'all have been enriched as members of the visible church. Have you ever thought about that in this way? That you have been made rich just by your relationship with and connection to the church, the body of Christ, That is in your midst. You have been enriched to be a member of this church. I think if we viewed things in this way, you would come every chance you get to experience those riches. You have also been enriched by God's grace in Jesus Christ. I spoke about this uh, Last time that I preached pretty exhaustively, but um, I'll preach more succinct, more succinctly now. <clears throat> Verse four says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Let's take God's grace in the first in the first place. Paul begins with thanksgiving. That is unusual, excuse me, that is the normal way in uh, Greco-Roman texts. You may be surprised by this because uh, uh, Paul had such problems with the Corinthians, but they were still a church. The Galatians were not so fortunate because they were dealing with justification by works and rejecting justification by grace alone through faith alone. This calls This caused Paul to take alarm, and he didn't give a thanksgiving at all in the letter to the Galatians. However, Paul began thanking God for the grace that the Corinthians had been shown in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, he thanks God always when he remembers the grace of God that they had been given in Christ Jesus. The thanksgiving of Paul also has ramifications for you. If you have been given the unmerited favor by God in and by the Lord Jesus Christ, you can always thank God when you remember the grace that you have, been, that you have received in Christ. You should always thank God 
when you remember that grace that has been shared with you. However, this is not just for yourselves, but every member of the visible church. You should pray always in thanksgiving for the grace that has been shown to them. You can pray for this church that way and that they have been taught that God has shown them grace. That would be a most fitting application for your prayer life. Secondly, union with Christ. You were only shown that grace if you are truly in union with God or with Christ. This is demonstrated by the fact that in the text it is stated, by the grace of God that was given you in Christ. When you believe, truly believe, you have been joined to Christ and thereby have union and communion with Christ and you are established in grace. Another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 communicates this point well. Turn with me there. Verse 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he is he who is joined to a prostitute? Prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You have been so united to Christ that the word of God states that you have become members with him. You have been joined to the Lord in one flesh that whatever is said of Christ is said also of you. So that if Christ is righteous, then if you are united to Christ, you are righteous as well. So that if Christ is holy, then if you are united to Christ, you are holy. So that if Christ is the Son of God, then if you are united to Christ, you are adopted sons of God. Do you see how that works? That you have been joined to Christ so that whatever is His becomes yours. If you are actually united to Christ. The Westminster Larger Catechism in Answer 66 puts it in this way. The union, the elect, the union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. Further, you have been enriched thirdly in all speech and all knowledge. Verse 5 says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. Let's take each of these in turn. One, speech. The word speech or utterance comes from the Greek word logos. 
Logos is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 14 times. But the closest parallel to the term is in verse 118. For the word of the cross is folly to those, to those who are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Also, this text says, uh, you have been enriched in all knowledge. This comes from the Greek word gnosis. This knowledge is spoken of in nine other occasions. However, it is not spoken of again until chapter 8, which speaks of knowledge seven times. I will read it to you. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This leads us to the proof that we have been gifted with all word or utterance and knowledge. The proof that you have been enriched enriched in all speech and, and all knowledge is the fact that you have all confirmed the testimony of that, that Christ, excuse me, the testimony of Christ spoken of in verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have confirmed the testimony of Christ, you have been given every word and knowledge that you need on the day that Christ returns. If you confirm the testimony, you have every word and you have all knowledge that you need to come to a a knowledge of salvation. If you can confirm the testimony of Christ, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. I had someone tell me in high school, and he was an older gentleman, uh, he said to me, when you become mature enough, you will speak in tongues. That flies in the face of what Paul says here. If you have been called by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a member of God's church, you or y'all are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Further, you have been enriched with perseverance. Verse 8 says, Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? We need to discuss the word sustained. That means that if God has decreed your election and effectually called you to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and if he sustains you, this means he will keep you to to the end. However, would it follow that you in the eternal decrees, God's electing purposes, and that by his election, you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then fall away? May it never be. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. 
and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. It is stated plainly from Jesus' own mouth that if you don't respond to the voice of the Savior, and if you never respond to the voice of the Savior, you are not His sheep. But if you are His sheep, He promises eternal life to you. And no one will ever snatch you out of Jesus and the Father's hand. This is a text from... This text is uh, also a proof text for the perseverance of the saints as cited by the Westminster Larger Catechism. Question 79 says, May not true believers, by reason of their imperfections and the many temptations and sins they are overtaken with, fall away from the state of grace. This, in essence, says, May believers fall? True believers, uh, once uh, sanctified and called, may they fall away from grace? Answer, true believers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God and His decree and covenant to give them perseverance, their inseparable union with Christ, His continual intercession for them, and the Spirit and the seed of God abiding in them, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. This this answer coincides with 1 Corinthians 1.8. That although you have been guilty, guilty sinners all the days of your life, You have been loved by God, as indicated by the grace of God that was shown you in Christ Jesus. That symbolizes your union with Christ. And if Christ is guiltless, you must be rendered guiltless as well. Let's talk about this now. The word guiltless. What is it to be guiltless? Guiltless means blameless innocent, or irreproachable. We are not any of these things, are we? We are not blameless. We can be blamed for any uh, anything, even the sins that you have committed in the past, or even this morning. We are not blameless. We are not innocent, are we? You can be held in contempt for any of the sins in which you have committed in word, thought, and deed. We appear before the throne room of God. And can you hope to be rendered innocent? Remember that God is your judge. You cannot boast of innocence before God, who is, who is the very innocent God. Further, we are not irreproachable, are we? We have been guilty sinners every day of our lives. But if, but if you are in union with Jesus Christ, what is true of Him is true of you. 
He makes you blameless and innocent and irreproachable. In justification by faith in Christ Jesus, you have been declared blameless. No one can convict you of wrongdoing as you have been imputed the righteousness of Jesus who has been righteous in every word, thought, and deed. And he credits that or imputes that righteousness to you. By faith in his blood, you are declared innocent of all your misdeeds and no one can reproach you. As Romans 8, 33 and following say to us, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? That is what it means to be guiltless before God. You are blameless, innocent, and irreproachable. That is indeed what you are if you have grasped on with faith in Jesus Christ. If you have truly believed, Jesus is said to keep you. And if Christ keeps you, you will be kept. No one can snatch you out of his loving arms. Not Satan or the world or the flesh. Not even one of them. He will preserve you even to the end in the day of Christ Jesus, you will be considered guiltless. The last verse is a, a summarization of everything we have discussed prior and is an exceedingly comforting verse. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful indeed. He has called you into fellowship, into union with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whom we have been exceptionally enriched in every way. God is faithful. He will surely do it. This leads to our applications. I have three this morning. Know that if you have been enriched by God's grace in Christ, you have been enriched by Christ's poverty. Two passages point to this. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, speaking about humility and looking out for others and not just yourselves. Paul says, <clears throat> Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant being born in the likeness of man. He didn't empty himself of anything that was of his divine nature, but emptied himself by his incarnation, his becoming flesh. And not only that, but he became a bondservant in the likeness of human flesh. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, to the point of death, death, even death 
on a cross. We have been enriched by the poverty of the Son of God and His death on the cross. One other passage that reveals this to us is 2 Corinthians 8-9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich for your sake, He became poor, so that by so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. For our sake, the Lord Jesus Christ left his heavenly throne room and took on flesh to establish us in his grace, and he became poor that we might become rich in him. Another application. Know that if you have been enriched by God's grace in Christ Jesus, you have been enriched by Christ's perseverance of you. Remember, and let this sink home to you, if Christ calls you according to God's purposes, He will keep you to the end. If God through Christ and the Spirit has called you, He will make He will make sure that you are completely blameless in the day that Christ returns. Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ loved the church. Christ gave himself up for her. Christ sanctifies her. And Christ presents her to the Father as holy and without blemish in the day when he returns. Is there anything that can separate you from the triune God? Is there anyone that can separate you from the triune God. If Christ exhibits such love for you, can we ever be separated from the love of God through Christ Jesus? He will keep you to the end, and you will be on that day guiltless. The third application that I would like to make is if you have been enriched by God's grace in Christ Jesus, you have been enriched by Christ's invitation to the table. In other words, Jesus has been so gracious to you that he invites you to partake of this meal, which is spread before you now. The Gospel of Luke tells us, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten the supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is for the believer's enrichment, but only for the believer. This is not for the believer, excuse me, the, for the unbeliever, the ignorant, or the scandalous, but for the believer in true faith, 
has the invitation to come to the supper of the Lord. However, we invite the unbeliever to remain during the service and observe how much the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, by this invitation to the Lord's Supper, spiritually and together, love even us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have been enriched in Christ. As a member of God's church, by grace and union with him, in every doctrine and knowledge, so that we can bear witness to Jesus Christ and so confirm his testimony, and with all perseverance of the saints. But we know that we have been enriched by Christ's poverty, and we are enriched by Christ's perseverance. And we come to this table that is spread before us only by the invitation of Christ. We thank you for this meal, just a small serving of bread and wine. However, we ask that you would bless us in partaking of this meal, and subsequently, that it would provide more faith to us, even if we have a small faith. Let us remember that a small faith brings a great Savior. So let us come filled with that knowledge to the table. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.